Hey everyone, welcome to another exciting episode of The Full Life. We're so glad to have you with us. Our special guest today is Michelle Ami Reyes, and we'll be talking about becoming all things, looking at cross-cultural relationships in our churches, in our families, and in our neighborhoods. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Full Life. We are so excited to enrich your life, make it a little fuller today. And I think today's topic and guest will certainly do that. But before that, I am so excited to say that our special guest host today is none other than my very own wife, Nina Mancuso. Hello. Thank you for joining us, a history teacher. And we're talking about uh, cross-cultural communication today in the book, Becoming All Things, How Small Changes Lead to Lasting Connections Across Cultures from our guest today. So I think it's an appropriate topic for you to join us. It's a joy to be here. Well, you know that we start every show, of course, with our encouraging words. So today's comes from Carolyn. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And I and I always say the hardest part about waiting, it's the holding pattern. It's when we're sitting there going, I'm waiting and when is God going to show up? But one thing I can tell you is God is never late. He is right on time. It may not be in how we think it's supposed to be, but the timing will always be perfect. You can go back through the Bible, Abraham and Sarah, they waited for how long? And it wasn't quick enough for them. God wasn't moving when they wanted it done. So what did they do? They took actions in their own hands. And then what happened? They birthed an Ishmael. They didn't wait on the Lord. What happens when we wait on the Lord? He shall renew our strength. And so I want to encourage you to wait. And then the second thing he told me was to accept Accept whatever God tells you that it's going to be. Sometimes the answer is yes, and we get all excited. We're moving forward. Sometimes the answer is no, not right now. Other times it's that dreaded word, wait, be still. I want to ask you today, are you trusting in yourself? Are you trusting in God? Are you worrying and scurrying, trying to make things happen in your own might where you're exhausted Or are you ready to be still and know that he is God and expect him to do something so great that exceeds the needs? Because that's what kind of God we serve. We love you. God loves you. You can trust him because he is faithful. And now let's turn to today's topic with our special guest. You know, we started last season talking about building multicultural churches, and we remain committed to building multicultural and multi-ethnic churches and communities. But how do we do that? Well, we have more insights from today's special guest. Michelle Ami Reyes is the vice president of AACC and co-executive director of PACS. She is also a scholar in residence at Hope Community Church and author of Becoming All Things, How Small Changes Lead to Lasting Connections Across Cultures. Michelle lives in Austin with her husband, Aaron, and two amazing kids. Please welcome to the show, Michelle. Hello. Welcome, Michelle. Hey, Michelle. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. 
Well, we're so thrilled to dive into this topic. First, I, I said AACC on uh, on the intro, but tell us what the AACC is. Yeah, the, the AACC is the Asian American Christian Collaborative. Uh, we were founded in March 2020 in the midst of rising anti-Asian racism. Uh, we put out the statement on anti-Asian racism in the time of COVID-19, which within a matter of weeks garnered over 10,000 signatures uh, and just became a national talking point. And since there, we have uh, been, been seeking to mobilize the Asian American Christian voice, uh, equipping Asian Americans and friends of the community to follow Christ holistically and to be uh, speaking out on on issues of culture, faith, justice, race from a from a biblical perspective. Awesome. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to go dive right into your book, which kind of dovetails right off that important your work you're doing. The, the book is rooted in Paul's example and this the uh, scripture, First Corinthians nine nineteen through twenty three. Um, can you expound on that scripture? Just tell people what that is, remind them what it is if they know, and speak to the overall mission that we have as a Christian that you speak about in this book. Yeah, definitely. So 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23 uh, is, is, is that passage in which the Apostle Paul says, to the Jew, I became like the Jew to win the Jew. Uh, and then he talks about those not under the law, meaning Greeks and Gentiles, you know, to those not under the law, I became like one not under the law to win those not under the law. And he goes on to then say, I became all things to all people uh, for the sake of the gospel. And, you know, this is one of those passages that I grew up reading uh, that I had, I had probably read a hundred times. And, and yet a, f- a few years ago, I was reading again through First Corinthians 9 and just did a double take on on this passage and it was like seeing it anew for the first time mm. and i thought what in the world is paul talking about particularly what struck me was that first phrase to the jew i became like a jew to win the jew and i thought well paul himself is a jew what on earth mm. how does it mean for a jewish man to become like a jew to win the jews and so uh this began uh, you know a bigger research project you know going to biblical scholarship going to the commentaries and to, to figure out what does paul mean um and i you know what i learned was something quite profound namely that even within uh, the first century world that paul wasn't treating all jewish peoples as the same he wasn't treating jewish peoples as a monolith uh you know take paul for example he was a pharisee uh and and he was an educated elite he was he was educated under gamaliel you know one of the um you know the top teachers of the day and so uh he he has a very specific social location ethnic heritage but there was also Sadducees, Essenes, Zealots, people of the land with all different theological views, uh, different backgrounds, um, even different ethnic mixings, right? Like the Samaritans. And so as you read through the book of Acts, you see actually that when Paul is interacting with these different Jewish peoples in different cities and locations, he's he's adapting and altering how he speaks, how he behaves, how he presents the gospel, uh, so that he conveys the message of, of scripture in a way that makes sense to them, uh, in a way that's inviting, uh, in a way that connects with peoples. And so the minute I began to really sit in that and understand that, the, it, it was like a light bulb in my own life. And I was like, you know, that's true today, right? Like for me as a second generation Indian American, you could you could line up 10 Indians and we'd be 
all so different. You know, 10, 10 Latinos, 10 African Americans, you know, 10 Anglo Americans, you know, we'd all be so uh, nuanced and unique in our cultural and ethnic identities. And so, um, the, the, where I start my book in chapter one is seeing, uh, each person, each person's unique cultural identity and, and moving away from, you know, the, the 1950s perspective of, of culture as groups. Once we see each person as a unique individual, how do we continually challenge ourselves to adapt how we think and interact and speak and, and behave um, to that individual? So I think in a, in a short amount of verses, it's a powerful challenge for us as Christians. And I think in the church age, this is this is the calling of, of believers. You know, it's really hard to understand, as far as the Bible goes, understand content without understanding context. Mm, and yes. the text is based on, you know, the, the, the culture. And so that's where I think a lot of times as Christians, we get in trouble in our understanding about certain scriptures because we're trying to understand it in our current culture. You know, one of the things we do talk about in, in, a lot in unifying the body of Christ, which is so very important, which we just celebrated Pentecost, and that is... That is a key element to Pentecost is they were all together in one accord, uh, one purpose, one mind. Um, you don't find the body of Christ so you, in relations to Galatians 3.28. Uh, but when you combine the previous verse from Corinthians, we should understand that Christian unity is not monocultural or it's not with, without culture. Um, can you speak just maybe a little bit more about the tensions between the two concepts? Uh, I talk about this a little bit in my book as well. I think it's important for us to, as believers to understand the difference between uh, the Mosaic Covenant in the Old Testament and the New Covenant in the New Testament um, to understand what it, what our calling is as, as the people of God. Because in the Old Testament, there was a call for cultural conformity. Uh, you know, there was sort of this, if, if you wanted to be part of the people of God, if you wanted to be invited in, particularly if you were outsiders, uh, th there, was a, there was an assimilation process yeah, that, that took place. You need to believe the way that we believe and you need to live your life accordingly. There was this uniformity, if you will. But then under the new covenant, now in the church age, the call for cultural conformity has come to an end. Uh, you know, I think this is this is where we see the great commission of going out into the ends of the earth and, and learning to have to adapt. Um, and as you were saying, uh, altering ourselves in different contexts for not forsaking the law of Christ, but but learning to adapt and, and, and alter ourselves in different contexts. And I think a, a, a powerful uh, article that Dr. Corey Edwards just recently wrote for Christianity Today was on the failed experiment of multicultural churches. And, and I have to say, just as a caveat, I think there's a lot of uh, great multicultural churches doing a lot of great work, particularly those that are being led uh, by Christians of color. Uh, I, I, I think that even, I'm, I'm biased, of course, but I think even uh, our church, Hope Community Church here in East Austin, but Dr. Corey Edwards argues in her article that multicultural churches have failed because they're only as diverse as uh, when they when they perform within the bounds of white comfortability. Anything that would challenge that status quo uh, then gets dropped or falls through the cracks or gets omitted. And so I think when we don't know how to sit in that tension, when we don't know how to be okay 
with discomfort. Uh, that's what leads to, to people being pushed to the margins within the church or kicked out or, or, or uh, being labeled as moral failures, right? Uh, or, or threats or, or, or dangers when really it's just, the, it's not right or wrong, it's right or left, right? And, uh, and, and, and uh, as Christians, we're not always good with that. But unity doesn't mean uniformity. And I think that's where mm-hmm. we get off. We think that unity means uniformity. If you look at the disciples who were gathered together in one accord, they disagreed about so much that at one point they're like, all right, you go that way and we're going to go this way. Right. Always <laughs> agree on everything. But what are the action steps that we can take to help celebrate, you know, diverse diversity and the diverse cultural narratives and the different things around our communities? What, how can we put this into action better? I want to specifically speak for a moment about um, Asian Americans within our country, uh, because there was a recent survey that came out. It was it was organized by Launch, and it was a simple question. It was you know, can you name a prominent Asian American? And what was so astounding is that forty two percent of Americans could not name a well known Asian American in this country, uh, and and and. The the next answer after I don't know uh, was 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 Jackie Chan. There was like eleven percent uh, for Jackie Chan, and then Bruce Lee was like nine percent, and he died nearly half a century ago. And I think what was so astounding about that survey is that it shows that Asian Americans still remain largely invisible within this country. You know, we still live within a, a very um, dichotomized black-white racial divide uh, where Asian Americans and Latinos and even Native Americans get get overlooked and erased. You know, something that I talk a lot about is that Asian Americans, we experience this double injury or this double threat in our in, in our country that our, our experience, we experience racial violence and our experiences are overlooked. I'll, I'll, I'll say this, as followers of Jesus, uh, valuing equal representation of different cultures uh, and working toward the visibility of all peoples, which includes Asian Americans, is it's not just a secular agenda, as a lot of people argue. It, there's a biblical precedent, uh, you know, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 24 through 20, 26, it talks about for the body of Christ, we need to care for those who are on the margins uh, and even give greater concern to those who are hurting. And so um, Christians should be treating the voices of all peoples, of all minorities, uh, of, of people on the margins with, with an overabundance of concern. When it comes to the church, we need to be hiring racially conscious people of color, racially conscious Asian Christians. Uh, that too is a biblical precedent. You can look at Acts chapter 6 and see the ways in which um, you know, you need to hire uh, people from your community, but you need to hire Asians so that uh, people are not overlooked and that the gospel uh, continues to spread. Uh, and, and and finally, for pastors and leaders, uh, and I'm speaking for the church in particular, to call out racism from the pulpit, to call out anti-Asian racism uh, in particular, to, to, to know the history of Asian America, uh, and of course, of other people of color too. But I think in this cultural moment, there's a lot that needs to happen in terms of education, visibility, and celebration of Asian Americans. One thing we've learned in our church, though, is proximity does matter. Most people aren't going to read a book and say, this changed my life. You know, more than likely, it's going to be a person they met or someone they sat under or someone they know. So can you talk about the importance of meeting and learning um, about each person's cultural stories on like an individual basis? And then and how does that counteract with um, some common stereotypes or negative tendencies? 
that's such a good word, right? Proximity leads to empathy and empathy leads to action. Uh, so many well-intentioned Christians, uh, they're like, okay, like I, I now finally understand racism is bad. What do I do? <laughs> and, uh, and, and I think sometimes there, uh, there is this unintentional desire to have find that quick solution, that quick fix, uh, if you will. And we have to 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 sit under uh, the the stories of other people, as you mentioned. Um, I love in Judges nineteen. Well, Judges nineteen is a horrific murder. It's 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 the murder of an unnamed concubine. Um, and when when the people of, of, of Israel hear about it, uh, they, they they cry out and say, "Speak up! We must do something." And I just love that posture because uh, actions need to happen. Uh, a response against injustice needs to happen. Reparations need to happen. But first, we must be listeners. Uh, you know, be 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 slow to speak and quick quick to listen um, and and to allow the the communities impacted to allow real people impacted by uh, injustice and the pains of this world to share their stories to share their real needs and for us to respond in kind all that to say I completely agree proximity is what will lead to to, to, to true empathy tr and and true action that actually makes a makes a difference in scripture it says if you do not have humility, if you are filled with pride, there's no room for God to come in. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of people may feel insecure about like, what is the right thing to do? Am I going to say something that's going to offend someone? A lot of people are feeling fear about that. But if we put aside our pride, if we allow ourselves to be vulnerable and, and humbled in God, God can speak those words through us. God can help us discern what are those right words. But I also, uh, you know, as an educator, as a, a history teacher and an ethnic studies teacher, um, I almost feel like I'm a little bit on the front lines here of trying to do exactly what you're calling us to do. A really um, important term that I'd love for you to, to kind of clarify for us today, uh, cultural appropriation. Um, could you just talk about, about that a little bit? Because I think sometimes it's considered a controversial term. So how would, how would you define that term? Uh, in, in my book, I am using uh, language from from current anthropologists that talk about cultural identity as narratives born from our ethnic heritages and I think that's important because uh, it's it's something that starts within it's 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 our stories and our values uh, it's our way of seeing the world uh, a certain perspective and understanding what it means to be a good person what's true and and beautiful um, this is what forms us so when we're talking about cultural identity, uh, I'm defining in this way. So that being said, cultural appreciation doesn't begin with something external, right? Like um, I hear so many people saying, oh, I love Indian culture. I eat Indian food all the time. And I'd say, well, that's not true cultural appreciation. <laughs> like you need to start inward, how, how I view the world, uh, what it means to for, for me to, to uh, have an embodied experience as an Indian American. I want you to know that. Um, and appreciate that. And so then to take that one step further, cultural appropriation is to, is to take from these different narratives, to take from these different worldviews and perspectives and to, to sort of take them on as your own uh, without any acknowledgement um, and without any benefit to the people that those stories and values and narratives 
came from, which is a different way of understanding cultural appropriation. And I, 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 I say that because we can so easily get into these, these culture wars of, of, you know, oh, I don't know, some sort of clothing or some sort of food. I mean, there's been people that have debated like, well, you know, if you're not Mexican, you're not, you know, you shouldn't be eating tacos. And I, I think we're missing the mark when, when we're, when we're policing in that way. But, um, on either side, sandwiched on either side of 1 Corinthians 9, uh, we, we, we see Paul talking about, you know, everything is uh, permissible, but not everything is beneficial. And I think this is a useful framework when thinking about cultural appropriation. So I, I, I say all that to, to not make us fearful of, <laughs> you know, whether we eat chips and queso or, or a taco or if, if we wear, you know, a cable knit cardigan sweater or, or, or something like that, but rather just to be more mindful about our purchases, um, how we decorate our homes, uh, why we engage with certain people anyways, uh, and, and, and is it to truly appreciate, to value, to support, uh, to, to elevate those communities, or just so that we can have a great experience. So I hope that makes sense in terms of rethinking what cultural identity and cultural appropriation uh, is. Absolutely. Can you speak to us a bit more about Jesus and the wanderer and how his example points to the importance of sharing each other's spaces, getting out of your own cultural comfort zones? Um, how do we do that? The way in which we begin to step outside of those bubbles, to step outside of our monocultural uh, comfort zones, if you will, is to be people on the move, to be wanderers. And I think um, this is not only the, the example of the Apostle Paul, but also of Jesus, that Jesus is constantly traveling to different places. Um, and, and, and something that I love and something that sticks out to me as, as an Indian American is that Jesus travels and he finds people like Zacchaeus and he says, hey, I'm coming to your house today. Uh, and he goes and eats with people. And so, you know, in my book, I, I talk about, you know, rethinking uh, where you where you go grocery shopping, where you get your hair cut, maybe even where your kids go to school, where you attend church, um, where you go for a run, uh, where you go with your kids to play at a playground, like all of those things. Rethink um where you're doing them, maybe how you can cross town to do it or go to a different neighborhood to do it. Um, I think one, it's powerful as a mom of young kids for my children to be rubbing shoulders just daily with people who speak different languages because it normalizes that. And instead of seeing these people as foreign others, it's like, oh, that's just my neighbor. Like, oh, that's that's my friend, uh, you know? But even more so in, in, the, in the model of Jesus, we, we get outside of our cultural comfort zones. We move, we travel, we wander for the sake of relationships, for, for the end goal of, of, of eating together, uh, bonding around the table, sharing each other's stories. Um, and so, yeah, it's not wandering for the sake of a diversity checklist like, oh, I went to that Asian grocery store today, you know, now I'm woke <laughs> or whatnot. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's for the sake of real relationships um, that, that where you really get to, get to know the heart of the person. And you can begin to ask those questions like, what is your story? What is your ethnic heritage? Who are the heroes of your community? What does justice look like for your community? We talk a lot about on the show about 
people over politics. Mm. And, you know, when you really begin to see people, it makes such an impact on the way you think and the way you behave. And mm. and yes, getting out of your comfort zones is so important. Yes, Nina and I, uh, I think when we had to make a choice about whether we were going to stay in this this community or not, made the deliberate choice to stay here because we thought mm. our kids would get a more uh, diverse student body in their school if we stayed here. So that was a big factor in how we made the decision because we wanted them to see all the different things, all the different people, all the different cultures, and they really have. And so mm -hmm. I, I, we, I'm grateful for God's guidance in that because we really did. Mm -hmm. And and the other thing I will say is that just like uh, Bishop Hilliard said last year, food is a key. He said, you sit yeah. down and you eat today, meal. that's the key. Amen. We are right there. And, and what I love, and I, I, you sort of talked about it with the proximity, but a lot of your book talks about meeting people as individuals and not as the, the black person that represents every black person or the Asian <laughs> person that represents every Asian person, which certainly like when you start trying, you can fall into that trap, I think. And I think you really give really good guidance and no, just talk to them. Just talk to them as people, just learn them. And it goes back to your points about stories too. Ask poignant questions because you come from a place that I'm genuinely wanting to learn. Yeah. Amen. As I was mentioning at the beginning, if you line up 10 Indians, you know, maybe one Indian is from India, one is from uh, Africa, one is from Trinidad and Tobago, one like myself who was born here in the United States, our, our experiences and our, our way of seeing the world are so different. Uh, and, and, and that's why I think and instead of asking sort of pre-programmed questions, you know, like, oh, cool. So you like non or, um, or, 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 oh, oh, you're Indian. Oh, I, I love India. You know, like all of these sort of like questions that are formulated from our own experiences, perhaps mm -hmm. from, from what we know of that person or that country or that community. Um, or, you know, another one is, is people, oh, you're Indian. So, so do you like Slumdog Millionaire? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm like I do, uh, but there's also a lot more about you know about me, and and so I, I think people like really say that though. <laughs> oh, I, you like more that. times than I can count, you know, and wow. so. Um, and then again, and, it's also just people trying. I also look at that as people are trying, so it's very easy to say. Yeah. Oh, they're so stupid. Why would they say that? Because that's my first thought. But people yeah. are at the very least trying, and I think it's very easy for us to want to say to naturally criticize and be like, eh, "Don't say that." You know, people are definitely trying to connect, I would say. Isn't that Absolutely. a good thing? Absolutely. Yeah, and so I don't I don't get offended because I, I understand there's 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 so much uh well meaning there's so there's there's a good heart behind that. Um but I, I will say Sometimes the, the the questions, particularly that I've I've had uh, friends or my 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 husband even uh, are a, a much more aggressive. So my husband is second generation Mexican American. Um, he gets questions all the time when people find out he's Mexican. Uh, you know, sometimes that knee jerk reaction is, "Oh, are you legal?" Um, I, I have African American mm -hmm. friends, um, fellow pastor here in Austin. You know that he he um, he. When people find out he went to, you know, University of Texas, uh, oftentimes the first question they ask is, "Oh, did you come on an uh, athletic scholarship?" Uh, and and so th then there's these these um, negative stereotypes that are that are built into those questions, and so I think 
that's that's where we can have more of those open-handed, open-ended questions, right? Of of of. Uh, so tell me about yourself. What's what's your story, and uh, and uh, what's your ethnic heritage, so that we give people the honor of self-definition. We give people the honor and the respect to just share who they are. Uh, and the second quick thing I'll say is that the more we learn about uh, each other's histories and experiences, uh, the hope. I would say is the more we'll see how interconnected we are. Um, I always think of the verse when Jesus says, in essence, you know, they would know you by your heart because your heart will always give you away. So it's not just that it's important to know people are trying, but you can know how they're trying. And sometimes the heart does give you away. So the example I give is, you know, depending on who you are in your relationship to me, if you see me walking down the street and say, come here, boy, you know, like that's very mm -hmm. different from my grandmother. That's very different from a friend I grew up with. That's very different from based on the histories of this country, an older white male saying that to me, you know, yeah. like, and we all have those things. We all have stuff within our culture where what we say to each other matters, you know? So it's like, um, I mean, this is a family show, but there are women who greet each other by what I would call the B word, right? Like mm. that's how they greet each other. There's no scenario where I would be able to enter into that conversation and use that word, right? No. Like, so I think that's what I mean. That's why I think it's important to hold on to some of this. Like, like, yeah, if I walked into, yeah, if I walked into that conversation and said, well, guys, I'm just trying to connect, like no right. one's going to buy it, right? Mm -hmm. So I just think that's an important um, disclaimer in some of this too, is yeah. to realize that, we all do this. Like we all have words we don't say and, and things and ways not to say it. Thinking about, you know, just a little bit more about some of the great advice you're giving. Um, one talk, uh, I'll give you a chance to share a little bit about what do you think uh, trying to put culture together looks like? You know, um, should we expect discomfort? Uh, we always searching for common ground. What's the balance there when you think about putting a culture together? We, we so often, when we're meeting a new person, we have this radar uh, going on in our head of like, okay, how similar are we? Uh, what kind of, you know, similar backgrounds or experiences have we had? Do we have similar tastes, hobbies, preferences? It's all about those similarities and, and, and common grounds. And I think, uh, you know, my first question is, okay, well, then what happens for the non-English speaker? What happens for the immigrant? Um, somebody whose life is so different from your own, uh, or you can't even speak the same language so you have no idea what their preferences and hobbies are. We have some lifelong friends uh, with, with, with Persians, uh, with, with, uh, with, with some Burmese families uh, and, and others who our English, our, our communication is, is, is still not that strong, uh, but, but they are powerful friends and uh, or to say these are, these are powerful, strong friendships. And, and so we, I think we need to redefine or relook at what friendship should even mean. Um, I, I truly think that the, the doctrine of the Imago Dei is the reformation of our time. And, and what does it look like to just uh, show so much love and honor and respect to another human being simply because they're made in the image of God and for no other reason? <laughs> you know, uh, they might be as different from you as, as humanly possible, but if you're going to go with the argument of shared, you know, common ground, our our common ground is is we are all made in the the image of God, and so how do we how do we learn to sit in each other's presence, even embracing silence, um, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of our biblical witness, um, and to truly show that we are committed to the image of God in all peoples. I can't help but think about when you were sharing that about my kids, we used to travel a lot with them internationally and do a lot of ministry. And uh, we would take them and they would 
be with kids in other countries and they had no idea how to speak that language and that kid had no idea how to speak English. And we were like, hey, we're gonna be gone for five hours, you know. They would say they had a great time. I'm like, what'd you guys do? We figured it out. Like they found ways to yeah. communicate. And I think sometimes mm -hmm. people worry about a communication barrier, um, but there's ways to get past an actual language and to still communicate with people. So mm -hmm. I love that brought back great memories for me. <laughs> Amen. You know, at the high school where I teach, we're doing a lot of work among the teachers on equity and justice in a secular sense. And mm -hmm. I would love to ask you, um, what do you want us to, to know or how would you discuss or talk about justice as Christians? I think for us as Christians, we need to have a more robust theological understanding of, of, of justice. I, you know, even in the conservative circles that I grew up in, um, you know, I grew up in a Northern Baptist church and the only conversation happening around justice was it was in the punitive sense, uh, punitive justice, if you will, that there was crime and punishment. Uh, and, and, and unfortunately, uh, I'll say while that is true, while God is a, a just God that, that, that brings uh, swift punishment uh, to, 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 to evils and, and, and uh, you know, pains in our world. Uh, unfortunately, I think sometimes we, we make that tent so large uh, that, that even just somebody who's different from us, um, who thinks differently from us, becomes uh, worthy recipients of punitive justice, if you will. But at the same time, in the Bible, we also see redemptive justice, restorative justice. Uh, you know, all the way from the New Testament, New Testament, where we where we see God Himself um, leading the way. You know, He talks about um, His 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 turban and His robe of justice, and we have those two words, mishpat and tzedakah, uh, justice and righteousness, in the Old Testament, and they're used synonymously. And then we move all the way to the New Testament uh, with Jesus and the inbreaking kingdom of God and the gospels, Mark chapter one, for example, uh, yes, on the one hand, Jesus comes and says, confess, repent, the kingdom of God is near. There's a spiritual component. But then at the same time, what does he do? He goes into the cities and the towns, healing people, restoring people back into society, uh, declaring that people have the right to good health, the right to equal services, the rights to be treated as equal citizens. Uh, and, and this is powerful. This is the restorative uh, justice uh, that the, that the gospel brings, uh, you know, and and if the term social justice is, is 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 too hard of a word to swallow, you know, social righteousness is is, is basically what we're seeing here, and so. Um, we need to have that framework so that when we are, are speaking about the gospel and justice, we are seeking uh, in the same way that Jesus says, see, I've come to restore all things. That we, the rest Restoration should be threefold. We are on the one hand seeking restoration between God and humans. Uh, on the other hand, between humans and humans, uh, that, that interpersonal relationship and dynamic, but then also between humans and our environment, which includes nature on the one hand, but then also systems on the other. It's all of that in the wake of the death of George Floyd, uh, in, in the midst of rising anti-Asian violence. Yes, preach the gospel, but preach the whole gospel. Uh, priest Christ, you know, raised and crucified and raised and, uh, you know, seated at the right hand of, of, of God, encourage people to believe, but then also care for them physically, emotionally, socially. I love that social righteousness. Mm -hmm. I, I, I love that term. Yeah. 
Sadiq, I love Sadiq. I taught on that a lot. That's you know, Sadiq is righteousness, and righteousness is justice to God. Obviously, in talking about culture, we want to be very careful though that we don't lose our Christian values mm-hmm. while we appreciate culture and we accept culture. There is a very fine line that we have to be very careful not to cross over into just doing something because it's accepted by culture. Mm-hmm. So we're just throwing out what the Bible says because that might offend culture. So mm-hmm. how do we how do we manage all that? Um, on the one hand, our cultural identities are rooted in the image of God, um, but they are also impacted by the fall. And so we have to have a constant negotiation of what is good and beautiful. Uh, in, in what ways does our culture and cultural identity reflect God's image in the world? Because that is so powerful and it's something that we all need to be continuing to to lean into and 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 have a god-given pride for uh but then at the same time we need to be uh, reflecting over our cultures and saying okay what is an idol you know what is a sin uh because because both are, are at work uh in our hearts as individuals and in, in in our communities you know when you talk about north american white evangelicalism there is this desire to go back to to sort of what we felt like was 1950s American culture, um, and, and and so much of our understanding of gender roles, of of, of the family unit, um, of, of even church practices are are rooted in this 1950s white American culture, uh, you, you know the, the the quote good old days, um, and you know we 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 think about that time where minorities. <laughs> I mean, think about what was happening to the black community in the 1950s. That cultural lens impacts, for example, the understanding of of, of women as teachers and even as preachers today within North American and particularly white evangelical churches. And, you know, it's so interesting being Indian American, um, being connected to a a national Asian American uh, Christian community. You know, so often than not, uh, when I talk with fellow Asian Christians, particularly Asian immigrants, they ask me, why is it that this is such a fight within white churches? Uh, Because in Asia, uh, in in India, in Taiwan, in China, and elsewhere, women are respected leaders and teachers and preachers. Asian immigrants come here and and say, what is going on? Why why is there such devaluation of women, Uh, particularly from white Christians, and 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 that's a cultural lens. That's a very particular cultural lens that is not, um, that, that that doesn't reflect God's image. It's it's an idol, and and it's something that we need to, to to reckon with. We've had people that were Joseph will say, you know, this is Pastor Jenny, and they just won't say it because it it's. I don't even think it's because they're trying to disrespect. I think it's just culture. It's hard for them to. S- but you're a woman, <laughs> you know, deep down inside. We, we still struggle. We still do struggle. And it's going to take a while. But I think we are making breakthrough. I think it's really good to step back and say, man, look at us putting our hand to the plow and really making an effort to, to grow as a society and to be better representatives of Christ by representing the fullness. Hey, we're always we're always thinking about what the, our work is to be done. That's, that's an excellent example, too. <laughs> And I will say what I loved, uh, you know, just to turn it a little bit, is the first time I read this sentence was, I believe, white whiteness is sometimes um, equal, or we think it's equal to not culture, or not because yeah, we're so used to it yeah. as 
the norm that we don't think of it as culture. And for the first time I went, oh, okay, I get that, you know, because I don't even think that that's like a cultural experience, but but I'm just so used to it that I don't even think about that. So that that's a, a good, yeah. uh, let, let that sink in everyone because we are in the middle of certainly a health crisis in India right now. So I did want to give you a chance to speak on that. What have you been hearing? I know you recently wrote an article, I believe it was last week. Um, uh, so I want to give you a chance to speak on what that situation is like in, in the terms that you know, and then we'll, uh, uh, we'll go into how we can help from there. You know, I think India just being as large of a country as it is and having uh, hundreds of, of millions of, of poor people in, in, in very condensed uh, locations, it was always going to be a country vulnerable uh, to the coronavirus, uh, an easy target for for uh, the contagion to spread. And yet um, there's been a lot of missteps uh, along the way that has led to where the country is right now. And it, it, it's crazy to actually think about the fact that India is, is, is a vaccine powerhouse. It supplies vaccines uh, globally. And yet um, in an effort to, to be a, a player on the global stage. It, 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 it sold over 16 million vaccines worldwide and didn't purchase enough for itself. And so um, wow. long before we got to where we are today, uh, there was a vaccine shortage in India. Uh, and then not only that, but um, you know, there's a lot of myths about vaccines. There was a lot of rumors on on, on WhatsApp and other places about uh, vaccines be, uh, being filled with cow's blood or that vaccines will cause infections uh, and that you'll need to have your arm or your leg amputated. Uh, and so there was just a lot of frustration from doctors <laughs> and missionaries, like the missionaries that I know in India, uh, particularly working in rural areas, that that the whole villages refuse to get vaccinated because of these uh, fears. And so, um, and then that uh, alongside of uh, Prime Minister Modi, who is, is, is probably the most powerful uh, Indian leader that we've seen in a long time, in decades. And he's so powerful because he crushes his political opponents like we've never seen before. Uh, but Part of the reason he, part of the way he does that is through big political gatherings, you know, um, and, 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 and this has created, you know, sort of super spreaders, if, if you will. And so all of that has now led to this record surge, over 20 million uh, cases. Uh, and, and we're now at this point where the hospitals are overrun, um, medical supplies are, are, are scarce, but ev even worse, I think there's, there's like 895 million Indians that make up the rural areas of India, which is like 66% of the population, but almost 70% of the hospitals, the doctors, the medical facilities are in the urban areas. And so you have this crazy situation where the people in the rural areas who first were the ones that didn't want to get vaccinated uh, are now the most vulnerable because they have zero access to medical supplies. And so, um, yeah, and, and, and not only that, but it's it's the rural Indians, it's the Dalits, the lowest caste, and then also Christians, uh, because Dalits and Christians are not allowed to go to hospitals. Uh, you know, they're, they're uh, blocked or, 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 you know, forbidden to go to, to, to hospitals. And so uh, a lot of my friends, missionary, medical missionaries in India, they're particularly working in the, with those three populations, rural, Dalits, and Christians. I'm sharing all this to help maybe give some ideas of how specifically to pray for India right now. Um.
for 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 particularly for for uh, doctors, Christian doctors who are going into the villages to to for for God to speak through them to help combat some of those myths um, yeah. that that is causing whole villages to to, to not be vaccinated, um, but just also for real medical supplies um, for vaccines. Uh, the, there's still a vaccine shortage in India, and so um, just real tangible physical needs right now. I was just wondering if you would recommend any agencies in case people are looking to donate financially or any groups that you know that are on the ground um, that we can share with people. I, I shared an article, or I guess I published an article with the Asian American Christian Collaborative last week called Help India Breathe. Uh, and the the article actually is an update from one of our missionary friends in India, um, serving the Dalits and, and, and serving Christians there. And they are partnering with an organization called Professionals International. Um, and so you can go there uh, to, to the link in the AACC article or just Google Professionals International. It's a tax deductible donation. Um, and, and they are trying to uh, get all the supplies. They're even trying to provide ambulances. Uh, you know, a lot of missionaries, including um, my friends there, they they don't want their names shared because uh, because Modi is a Hindu nationalist. Uh, any Christians <laughs> that are discovered, uh, you know, things don't go so well for them. And so um, there's a the, there's not many folks who are asking for direct donations to their orgs. But I think through partnering with somebody like Professionals International, the funds are able to be directed accordingly. So uh, if you feel willing to give, I would, I would definitely encourage giving uh, through them. Let's take a moment to focus on the fullness of prayer. Every morning when I woke up and came downstairs, uh, my mother uh, was, was in that um, head down kneeling posture on the ground, uh, praying to God. And, you know, my mother grew up Hindu, the, the child's pose. Um, it's a, it's a well-known yoga pose that, that is the pose that I saw my mother in every morning. Uh, and, and, and though she wasn't a Hindu anymore, she wasn't in that posture to pray to the Hindu gods. That was her posture to pray to the Lord. And so, um, that impacted me in so many ways. One, it, it modeled to me that the first thing that I do when I wake up is to pray. And that's something that stuck with me throughout my whole life, uh, to begin in prayer. Um, and then second, to also consider the posture of my body. Um, you know, do I have a posture that, that, that expresses my submission to God, that expresses my, my praise and my worship to God? Even when my child is about to you know, have a meltdown, <laughs> one of the ways that we stop meltdowns in our home is say, okay, stop and pray. <laughs> you know, pray for God to take care of your emotions right now. And my children do it. And so they're learning from a young age that no matter what they're feeling, whether it's joy or anger or sadness, that their first response as those visceral emotions are building up is to stop and pray. There is beauty and value in communal prayer. Um, for, from our own church, which is over about 60% Latino, bilingual Spanish, you know, when, when we're praying in church, you can hear multiple people praying <laughs> and praying at once. Uh, and I even think about my Korean brothers and sisters and the Korean style prayer where they're all in a circle on their knees with their arms in the air, just shouting prayers to God together. And it's, it's, it's loud and it's noisy uh, and yet so beautiful. And so, um, 
Yeah, I think I think there is beauty in in in, in all of these different expressions and embodied prayer and communal prayer, um, starting our day in prayer, and 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 so these are some of some of my own values uh, and, and and things that I'm I'm hoping to pass on to my children as well. My thanks again to Michelle Ami Reyes for joining us today. Again, the book is Becoming All Things. As I said to her, as we, you know, before we started today, I would say that it's a book that challenges you, but also is so hopeful that this is worth doing and we can do this as Christians and follow Michelle and the Asian American Christian Collaborative on social media. And do the work. Continue to have the meals and 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 go into the different places and and reach and reach across and learn about someone's own individual stories. Um, it will enrich your life. And uh, we pray that every episode of this show enriches your life in some way. And we'll see you next time on The Full Life.